0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is nothing. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between one and ten in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin.
1: I am Adam Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani. I'm so wacky. Are you ready, Adam? For another <laughs> Oh, uh, representing yeah, everything think, terrible about yeah, right. our subject yes, yeah. for the evening, aren't we? <laughs> which, in case you couldn't tell, the topic of the week is animation, which, interestingly, we've done genres a lot whenever we do topics, but mm-hmm. an important note is that animation, despite what you might have seen it categorized as, is not a genre. It is an art form, a medium.
0: Right. Which, uh, you know, that's that's the fun thing about animation. They span all genres.
1: Yes, and it doesn't have to be just for wacky things for kids. It can also be something, you know, very hard-edged, gritty um, at the same time. It's, you can do a lot with it. This, that, of course, that whole message is a big sentiment of Brad Bird, who, uh, in honor of Incredibles 2, we are doing this animation topic, and um, we're all very curious, hopefully excited. Some of us remember Tomorrowland, so we're not as excited. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I want it to work, but I don't know, also Pixar sequels haven't been the most consistent thing either, so... Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> no. So, it could go either way, but, um, th- enough about that, we have, uh, two good movies, so, and two bad movies to choose from, so it will go both ways, on well, this mm-hmm. case, we go both ways, double mm-hmm. w- Bill, that's mm-hmm. how we yes, <laughs> Um, and this time, Adam has the two good movies under the topic of animation, and I have the two bad ones. So I'll go ahead and I'll pick a number between one and ten for your two choices, Adam, to seal half of our fate for this episode. Oh, I've had it. Okay, I am going to pick number seven.
0: Oh, okay, a number seven on the dot. I had Wizards by Ralph Bashki. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen that
1: one. I, I don't think I have. What's the other choice?
0: Number one, I had Secret of Nim.
1: Oh, I love Secret of Nim. So good, such a great
0: movie. All, oh, right. oh, yeah, I... all right, now, all right. Number three.
1: Well, at number two, I had the not so classic Don Bluth film, Rock Doodle.
0: Oh my god, are you fucking kidding
1: me? Look, okay. It's better than if you had gotten number nine, which <laughs> would have been food fight. Which is sort of infamously terrible film. I, so uh, <laughs> but uh Rocket Duel is a fascinating one with a lot of history. It's something. It's it sure it is something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but we'll be getting into all of that uh in a bit. Are you excited for this double feature, Adam? Nope. the feeling is mutual clearly oh great yeah we're gonna have a lot of fun we'll get into all of that right after this
0: there will come a time on the planet earth when science and technology will be long forgotten 20th century fox presents wizards a futuristic fantasy epic born in the mind of ralph bakshi the master of animated magic Is shot ten million years from now against strange and huge panoramic settings. And it is more fantastic, more enchanting, and more powerful than anything you've seen before. Wizards, the ultimate futuristic fantasy epic.
1: And we are back. Uh we have watched our double feature and uh, our two of our movies here that are about big epic quests for these characters in animation. We have uh, brought along a weary traveler for our quest here. It is a friend of mine, a writer and a big animation fan, Mr. Scott Johnson. Scott,
2: how are you? Fitting for the animation episode. I'm stuck between two tomcats.
1: Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, Scott, why don't you uh, detail a bit, uh, since I explained this, you are a big animation buff, yes?
2: Yes, that's correct. I think our personal relationship between you and me started on One of OneOfUs.net, where um, I was actually doing an animation column on there, where I would talk about current animation, old animation, uh, trends going on. And I've always had that thirst and interest in animated, animated cartoons and movies since I was a little kid. You know, Simpsons, Nicktoons, Cartoon Network. And... I always really like seeing where cartoons are going because that's where you can be the most most imaginative, though I do kind of have a weak spot for the older style of animation, like anything 80s and younger, so that's why I was really looking forward to talking about the movies here.
1: Yes, and if you meet Scott in real life, he is very much an animated character come to life. He basically is. Um, Very rubbery in person. Um, that is but, actually very true. <laughs> that's, he's very flexible. He does a split like no one knows it, and that's honestly truth. But let's get into our double feature here. So, uh, Scott and I actually talked about this uh, a few days ago in private, and we both kind of agree that it's interesting that we got these two movies because uh, both of the people who are the writer-directors here are very interesting auteurs for animation, which isn't something you usually get. Like, for Disney films especially, the director is sort of more of a... Um, you know, title that people honestly like. Uh, there are multiple directors, and they kind of go through people until honestly, like Pixar. I think we didn't really get that many other modern animation on tours, like a Brad Bird, Andrew Stanton, people like that. But the people who sort of paved the way for a lot of that, um, I would argue, are Ralph Bakshi and uh, Don Bluth, uh, two very important figures in animation. But we're going to start off with Ralph Bakshi here, who, for those of you who don't know, started originally doing animation like in the '60s. But um, he's working on stuff like the 60s Spider-Man cartoon, amongst other things. But then he said, like, you know, I want to break out and do something a lot more personal and a lot more audacious. And he did stuff like Fritz the Cat, or Heavy Traffic, or later on he did stuff like Fire and Ice. Basically a lot of animation that wasn't really aimed at children. And uh, I I wanted to ask, uh, were either of you really that familiar with Mr. Bakshi? Uh, Adam, what about you? Were you familiar with Bakshi's work? Very, actually. Um, Growing up, Fire and Ice wasn't... Constant
0: rotation, namely because it was based off uh Frazetta drawings, and uh, my dad was a huge Frank Frazetta fan, so that's how I got into it. And then I sort of just followed him from there, like after Fire and Ice came Wizards. And uh, yeah, dude, I, I love Ralph Batchkey, it's-, it's definitely not for children, I can say that. I mean, Fire and Ice, you can kind of get away with showing kids, there's not too much in it that's you know crazy. There's a couple F bombs here and there, but it's just you know, sword and sandal epic. But, like, Wizards, there's some heavy stuff in this movie, man. Yes, what you about know, you, God. Scott?
2: I'd hate to say it, but Ralph she was kind of a blind spot for me growing up. I think I was just too young for him. And around that time when uh, the VHS culture of cartoons were starting to come out, it's just like, just aim for kids. So I missed a lot of his stuff, even though I knew that his stuff was mature rated and it was very much expired by, like, exploitative uh, comic books and the old style of animation, very different from Hanna-Barbera or Filmation or Ruby Spears or anything like that. So watching this movie kind of gave me a chance to really immerse myself in his career, like actually see his movies and kind of see how his personality, which is so legendary and inspired a whole lot of other animators, really comes to life.
1: Oh my god, yeah, just watch any video of him doing a and a where he just gets super pissed off, and you can tell Bakshi is a crazy person in the best way possible. He's fucking nuts. Um, I mean, he's a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> but only a maniac can really do this, and especially Wizards was sort of his family picture. Uh, to literally do an impression of him because he sounds basically just like that. But, you know, I had a similar experience to Scott where I hadn't really seen too many Bakshi movies prior to us seeing this. Honestly, the only Bakshi film I had seen really was uh, Cool World because much... Oh, God. We, <laughs> well, and it's it's much like our other feature. Uh, it was one of those movies where my dad sat me down and was just like, you like Roger Rabbit? This is just like that. It's not just like that, Dad. No, It all. wasn't at all. No.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, God, Cool World. Cool World is one of those movies for me where I, I can't watch it. I can't do it. I try. In fact, I tried recently. It's on one of the streaming services. And, dude, I can't, I can't get through it.
2: I think I watched part of Cool World because it was airing on Comedy Central. For some reason, that was something Comedy Central liked to air a lot of back in the day. And then it's sort of spiritual successor, Monkey Bone. And they're both in similar tiers of just horrible, horrible quality. Oh God!
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and sadly, I take Monkey Bone over Cool World, unfortunately. And because
1: Monkey, like Monkey Bone doesn't have a moment where somebody says, "Who here has had sex with a tune?" Like this is the prequel to DeviantArt, I guess is that movie? Um, <laughs> that's basically what it is. Um, but yeah, so I immersed myself really in. The, I watched all of his films actually in sort of the break that we had. Um, it felt like three seconds to you. It's been like a week uh, for us, and it was really interesting immersing myself especially some of his earlier films like I would personally say my favorite of his is Heavy Traffic which is sort of like imagine Mean Streets but it's more of a caricature of New York as opposed to being New York I I think that's a a great film that I hope more people honestly kind of discover again but all of them have a very interesting kind of style to them he likes to mesh styles and that's a big thing with Wizards which um, originally premiered on February 9th 1977 And it is basically the story of, after a big post-apocalyptic war happens, uh, magic comes out of the sort of ground it's been um, hiding under. And from there, we have this sort of story of two warring wizards. One good avatar, played by Bob Holt. And then we also have... And then the evil wizard, Black Wolf, uh, as played by Steve Gravers. Um, And it's it's interesting, uh, especially watching this... Um, Scott, I think also can agree with me on this. This seems very inspirational for uh Pendleton Ward, who would later create adventure time
2: big time I think if you if you watch Adventure Time, you realize it's fantasy, but it's hidden under a post apocalyptic view, except where back she was taking really, really hard drugs. Pendleton Ward's just like, yeah, I'll take some mushrooms and draw little dots and smiley faces and <laughs> just have characters have characters just kind of talk about random things.
1: Here's a cute now, oval dog that's fun, right. <laughs> Here's
2: a floating cloud that sounds like me.
1: (laughs) Basically. Um, But yeah, it's sort of a faction of um, the magic versus the mutants of humanity that have kind of come up. And I guess to go a bit more further, Adam, when you first discovered this movie, did it really just blow your mind? It absolutely blew
0: my mind. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I thought Peace was the coolest character in the world uh it's just dude and then the footage at the end where it's you know just nazis i i was like what am i watching i shouldn't be watching this because i think i was like five when i first saw this maybe six because i had an uncle who just didn't give a shit and just, <laughs> just let us watch whatever we wanted no i love this movie man so much that i bought the um special edition blu-ray that came out where it was, it's in a book and it's got a lot of the concept art and everything like that to it um Uh, how I feel about now, I'm not too sure, but I loved this movie when I was a kid. I couldn't believe it.
1: Well, and Scott speak to discovering it more for the first time here.
2: Yeah. I actually watched it here when Thomas invited me onto the podcast and I really went, you know, I really want to get into it. I think from the few movies of his, I have watched watching, wizards and fritz the cat and lord his lord of the rings and fire and ice i think this is my favorite of his because i think although it's really simple it's probably his strongest from a from a thematic point of view and also i really like how the animation and the music design really kind of plays into its overall use of the characters and just just the war and the fantasy elements
1: He does a great job of sort of culling the chaos. I won't say controlling the chaos, because what I kind of like about Bakshi is there isn't a lot of control there, which is honestly sort of fascinating to watch at so many points, where it's just like, just crazy things are going on, different animation styles are clashing, but in a way that really, I think, builds up the atmosphere of this universe, and really lets the characters sort of marinate in it, which I really love, especially when you have sort of like this apocalyptic fantasy world and evil warlock like black wolf and his enemy is this little peter falk sounding wizard who i kind of loved i kind of loved the character of avatar just this like old dude seen a lot and how he references stuff like oh yeah you know magic was banned but let me go ahead and do this trick where i pull out a turkey from nowhere and uh, try and feed some thing like he doesn't give a shit which I find really fascinating, just, like, in this world where nothing really matters, it's just like, oh, yeah, things are banned, don't give a shit, which plays wonderfully into the ending of this movie, which I think Scott can agree is just, like, fucking awesome. <laughs> that, was the thi-
2: that was the thing. When I was watching this movie, I went through bit, uh, peaks and valleys of, like, I, I love this movie. I really like this movie. And then it's just like, okay, it's kind of not going much, much places. And I think Avatar, as the central figure is interesting in that he is the most important, one of the most important people in the world, but he has that lackadaisical attitude. I mean, when he goes on the quest with his wife and Weehawk he's like, I wonder if I forgot to pack my scotch. you know. And he just continues on like that. And then when he gets to meeting with um, Black Wolf, he does something that would make Indiana Jones so proud, and I just wanted to applaud at, at Bakshi for pulling that off.
1: Yeah, I, I love that he, he uses his gun, but ironically ends up using the key essential thing to a magician, which is misdirection. It's just like, I'm gonna show you a trick Ma showed me. Shoot you in the fucking neck, that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> so boss. Yeah,
0: Avatar's cool, man. I, I When I was a kid, I remember not liking him so much, um, simply because he's old and senile and crazy and goofy. And, you know, as a child, it's hard to identify with him. But now as I'm older, I'm like, wow, I'm old and senile. And goofy. And a bit of a drunk and a horn dog. Yeah, I like this guy. I'm doing the rest of the podcast in this
1: voice, if you don't mind. Oh, you know what I might like your Peter Falk impression, but just one more thing. <laughs> it's not as good as mine. Scott, now you do it.
2: Have you seen my hot little wife here?
1: <laughs> it's Peter right, Fox, a nice. trio of Peter Fox for the rest of the evening. <laughs>
0: it's a fuck <fork> off, everybody.
1: <laughs> oh, you better fuck off right now. <laughs> Um, but what about some of the other characters that we have here? Like, uh, for example, uh, Eleanor, the sort of fairy and love interest to Avatar. What was interesting for me was I was kind of worried going to this, like, oh, is she just going to be a sex pop? Because, <laughs> Ralph back, she's kind of been guilty of doing that with a lot of his female characters that are in his movies. But what I found interesting about Eleanor was that there's a genuine sort of sincerity that's coming out of her and she's there she feels vulnerable despite being sort of like a magical creature like it's the whole thing where she gets abducted by those creatures but she tries to create something you know that little monster to fight against them but ends up kind of screwing her over at the same time so there's definitely a naivete but at the same time there's an earnestness that really makes her more than just a sexy elf lady which she's drawn that way can't help it but um would you guys agree with that
0: I mean, yeah, I, I do, and I, and I agree with you. In the beginning, she does come off like she's just going to be just a eye candy for the whole movie. But there's actually a lot of underlying, you know, strength to her character that comes out in bits and pieces. And I found her to be actually kind of a refreshing character. Where yeah, she's dressed, you know, skimply and stuff, but really the only person who even makes mention of it is Avatar. Everybody else just kind of takes it for what it is, and she doesn't really use it. As a weapon.
2: Yeah, they take her character into some complex areas where as the movie goes on, because she accidentally gets influenced by Black Wolf and she kind of leans herself, in the opinion, of Weehawk, who doesn't trust uh Peace, also Necron 99, who was one of the assassins sent to take out Avatar. But I think it gives her a bit more dimension than you would expect from Ralph Bakshi movies, which where I feel like most of his movies, the characters kind of secondary to the overall background and the setting of something, especially here because they just go from the very peaceful Sherwood Forest fantasy area to the more dystopian desert and just ruined
1: cities of, um, what's it called, Scorch? I believe so, yes. Yeah, yeah it's Scorch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and and I think that also kind of applies to... I I really like the whole ensemble that we sort of get there. There's also Weehawk, who's the sort of um, elf knight that follows them along on their quest. And as you mentioned, Peace. Um, I really like their interactions too, because it definitely feels like we were meant to obviously not totally trust Peace, considering Mm -hmm. what he kind of did prior to, you know, being converted by Avatar. And we kind of share that sort of lack of trust with Weehawk. But I think it really makes those two characters really work together well, especially when they sort of have that moment where they kind of have to rely on each other, and then ends up kind of uh, working out for the two of them. I I really like that whole interaction, and I do agree with Adam that uh, Peace is a badass, and so much so that he's literally the poster image of the movie. Every single sort of, like, promotional thing for this movie just focused on him, and it's such a great kind of stationary, cold, robotic, badass character. Even when he ends up becoming, from Necro99 to Peace... There's sort of this cold, stalwart kind of look to him where you can't quite trust him. It's almost just like, hey, it's like Boba Fett, but good.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I brought it up when we did the holiday episode. When Boba Fett's riding that thing in the animated one, in the animated episode, to me that's almost like a ripoff
1: of peace in this. Yeah, but George Lucas is... Interestingly, because uh, around the same time this movie was being made uh 20th Century Fox, so it was a little movie called Star Wars. Hmm. hmm. What? Hmm. hmm.
0: Interesting. That was in unison. You guys have been practicing. <laughs>
1: we're part of a hmm quartet. Okay. Uh, we do a... <laughs>
2: you could say we're like those two stormtroopers in the movie.
1: Oh, God, who are great. Uh, the the whole, uh, they killed Fritz, they killed Fritz bit is wonderful. And also, that one is voiced by Ralph Bakshi, who I just kind of love his stupid voice. You might also recognize it if, say, you see Fritz a cat, one of the pigs is voiced by him. The one who's just like, now don't you fuck up, Ralph, don't you fuck up. That's, a- I I love his voice whenever he puts it in his movies.
2: Yeah, it's like, we need to do plan B. What's well, plan B? Oh, you'll see.
1: Boom! <laughs> oh. <laughs> and also i love him when he voices the the big fat stormtrooper when he's just like oh there's so many people dying. i don't know if i can go how can i go and then he just eventually zooms right past and starts doing it um those, those stormtrooper characters are great as well just the way they're kind of designed and disheveled um but at the same time you kind of also feel like they're kind of real like there's that point when they um invade the church which is a great comedic scene Um, with the two little Elvish guys in front of the CBS logo for some reason, and they do their giant ritual, and it's just like cuts later. It's like, it's been five hours. We got to get something here.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of product placement in this movie, actually. I'm even looking at your notes here, and I can't believe they even – I wonder if they had the rights or – I actually mean, Baxter just said to hell with it and threw them in anyways.
1: Well, I think it's interesting because it's an example of product placement where it works in terms of just, like, what the remnants of our time still kind of linger here. Not just with the technology, but even just in our corporate culture and how obsessive we were. Especially around that time, you know, speaking of Star Wars, this wasn't too long before uh, an even bigger media merchandise blitz that would occur in film... And so I think in a lot of ways, back she kind of is um, ahead of his time. Even with, uh, interestingly enough, a bunch of mutant pieces of shit who get like, inspired by old Nazi videos. But maybe that's not relevant at all.
2: Well, that's the thing that's clever about the movie, is that Black Wolf, upon finding the Nazi footage, isn't just inspired by it because he is like this being a pure evil, but he targets it to his audience of like these lizard people and orcs and trolls and stormtroopers who are like, look, you're important and you're powerful and you deserve to have the rest of the world. That's what matters. And even the way, God, I love how the battle scenes are handled in this movie. Cause one way they terrify the elves is just by playing Nazi footage. And because they have no point of reference to it because they're, they're new they're just so freaked out by the imagery that it just destroys them mentally.
0: Yeah, I agree. And when I was a child, the Nazi footage actually scared the shit out of me. Especially when they edited it and added horns and red eyes and stuff like that. It it's actually scared the hell out of me.
1: Well, we should definitely talk about um, one major aspect of this movie was um, it integrated probably the most heavily up to that point back in career, the concept of rotoscoping, which if you don't know is basically when an animator would take frames of live action footage and literally trace over it and create sort of an animated shell around um, a normal character he would utilize this a lot in his later career particularly with right after this he did the lord of the rings movie scott was referring to the first adaptation he utilized that for like the whole movie and also in films like american pop and Uh, fire and ice fire and ice rotoscoping yes there's a lot of that And i think honestly what i like about this movie and i think is something he gradually loses over the course of the rest of his career is he leans so much on that rotoscoping that honestly it's sort of Ends up losing a bit more of the animation because I like the blend of styles here. I think it really makes you know individual scenes distinctive, and also honestly manages to separate from you know certain people that are like in the middle of like the mutant hordes for example um where you get sort of ones that look like horrible demon devils and cartoonish versions of humans and then you have these more realistic kind of characters to shows it's just like this world has been ravaged so much that there are so many different types of either cartoony or very humanistic characters that it really adds to sort of the diversity of this entire plane of existence that we're on with this movie
2: Something I really liked about the style of the movie were, were the backgrounds. And uh, something I found out, I don't know how much you guys are into other nerd stuff, but um, he used two people. Uh, one is called Ian Miller and the other is Michael Plug. And they did all these, they're comic auth- authors who did like these complex backgrounds and designs. And I found out later that they did, did artwork for Magic the Gathering. And I couldn't help but think that while watching it because you see all the fantasy stuff and the goblin stuff. And Bakshi kind of animates all of his scenes kind of around the background. Like when characters move, they're clearly moving around the trees or the buildings. And I think that works great for what he's trying to portray with the war scenes because he can't do full-on fluid animation because the budget wasn't very high. So he does it in his own stylish point of view, which just makes it all the more visceral and all the more realistic feeling because of how he works with those scenes.
0: You know, that's so funny. I didn't realize that those two guys did some of the early or the Magic the Gathering drawings. I now you say it makes total sense. Those Magic the Gathering cards, the art on those cards. Oh my god, they're fantastic. Mm.
1: Well especially anytime they sort of utilize the sort of narration over still frames, which I think in another context could really be terrible. But I love that he utilizes it just enough to where it's like clearly like, hey, we're a low budget movie. We can't quite animate all of this stuff. But at the same time, it still feels makes you sort of immersed in the idea of this is a fable being told. Especially with Susan Tyrell's narration. Which, honestly, really is so much to immerse you in that. And it's interesting because she goes uncredited in the actual film. Um, because at the time... Her agent felt, oh, you know, we don't want to have her credited for animation, it would seem lower tier to her. But later on, she would appear in Fire and Ice because that role of the narrator apparently got her so many voiceover roles and commercials and all this other stuff. And it's such a great, soothing yet sultry voice that perfectly gets you into the sort of atmosphere he's going to create with this movie. It
0: just, her voice just radiates, you know, excitement and fantasy and just... Yeah, I I can't believe she didn't get credit for that. You know, I think I remember that on the uh, documentary, and I was blown away by it.
2: This film is all about mood, and I think she captures that really well because, again, I I feel like Ralph Bakshi's crazy because he's like, I drew everything, and all you animators have it so easy these days. And he was able to kind of paint that picture with everyone in his cast, and he understood it from a visual and audio point of view. Because something else we haven't mentioned is, I think the score, the soundtrack for this for this movie is amazing.
0: Yeah, I it's... agree. I, th- I think it's his best soundtrack on any of the movies he's got.
1: Well, yeah, that is isn't the it's... actual, like, so that's more of an orchestral score, which is interesting because he would later do the Lord of the Rings movie. So he said mm-hmm. something I actually agree with, is that the, that score is so very traditional epic fantasy in a way that's just kind of boring as opposed to here there's such a weird interesting blend where you can tell it feels like it's a remnants once again of our culture kind of coming together where there are points where it's sort of big flights of fancy and other points where it's just like are we walking down 70s new york with the (laughs) like like there are several points where that happens but in such a fun way especially i think that's uh really well utilized with the once again the character of peace when he's, like, going around, it has sort of more of that era of soundtrack, and it sort of gets you so immersive, like, this is a robot on top of a weird steed in the post-apocalyptic ruins while sort of 70s porn music is playing in the background. That's That encapsulates the movie.
2: It, it's so good because compared to, like, Fritz the Cat, which is just, like, 70s funk exploitation soundtrack, and this kind of has, like, everything around the 70s not just with the medieval sounds or the marching sounds, but you also have like this acid jazz and the psychedelic rock playing. And like during there's really, I think my favorite tracks happen during the fight scenes spe- specifically because all these elves are getting slaughtered and you see the blood and people are fighting against the shadows. And you just think back. was like, I'm going to crank deep purple's child in time while this is all playing <laughs>
1: <laughs> something he would later utilize. Maybe Overutilize in American pop, pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, until he plays night moves at the end. I I watched American pop. I can't get fucking over how he uses night moves. It's so stupid that that's your climax of the history of American pop music. But that's a different movie. Um, let's keep talking about wizards. Um, another voiceover person we should mention. We kind of reference this in that Star Wars episode Adam was referencing earlier. Um, one of the earliest voiceover roles for mark hamill as the small little fairy son that comes in and uh speaks for about two minutes and then is killed off but it's the earliest point i think that's uh at least not some old 70s Hanna Barbera cartoon that's lost uh that we have of his voiceover career
0: yeah and i mean now look at him he's one of the most prolific voice actors in the world i mean the guy's done everything he's done he's been wolverine he's been the joker he's been
1: everything arguably the best joker there's ever been in an adaptation of Batman. I I don't think you can argue it I disagree I don't think it's arguable. nope Some may argue Heath Fletcher but in terms of I think the no, most man, faithful I, jo- <laughs> I completely forgot that uh,
0: peace was an Android until rewatching it and because I remember as a kid thinking he was a ninja because I thought ninjas were the coolest thing in the world and now I watch him like he's a robot but he could still be a ninja. So he's just the coolest
1: character in the movie for me. Well, and also, interesting bit, uh, we referenced Matt Greening's work earlier, feels like a little bit of uh, Bender might have been inspired by Peace. Oh, absolutely. Bender, and you know what? I Even this time, I got a little bit of uh, Marvin the Martian. That's true. It's something he was definitely inspired by. Yeah, I can definitely see that as well. Yeah.
2: Actually, if I have a flaw with this movie, i I, I feel like Peace isn't used enough. I feel like... The the movie itself is kind of advertised <sighs> on him, and it's more about Avatar and Black Wolf and even Eleanor to a extent. So Necron just kind of appears, and then he has the transformation piece, and then he's kind of gone. I, I feel like I feel like he was a character who was supposed to have more, but because of what they did, they kind of had to write around like how characters changed around him, and I. I wish he was kind of used more so in like the later battles or the later scenes. Cause he, when he changes the piece, I think his character just doesn't get enough to do.
0: You know what? I, uh, I
1: was opposed to Scott being on the show. I would just like to say <laughs> that I think I'm right. <laughs> I can see what he's talking about in terms of, I really like how peace is used in the movie, even including when he's killed. I think it's such a great surprising moment that really works. I'm just more disappointed that after that point, I think before we get to that awesome ending point, we mentioned, um, we kind of muddle around a bit in some cool, um, you know, great battle sequences. But at the same time, some of the characters like even Eleanor character, I think, kind of gets lost in sort of like, oh, this betrayal. But then the next time we see her, it's just like, oh, no, I was tricked the whole time. I lost my agency. Remember that? That's gone. Yeah. Um, I, I feel oh. like that's, that's kind of more an issue with me after that point, is if we'd had peace in there, that might have maybe filled up some of the gaps. But at the same time um it's, it's still at least we get that everything that totally saves everything it saves yeah, so yeah. much
2: yeah yeah that's that is another thing because like black wolf has a wife and a son who gets born at the end of the movie and they kind of appear to kind of help with eleanor and weehawk but it's weird that they don't get called back considering the movie does get a epilogue
0: true i, I would kind of see that adam yeah i can agree with that actually that that I, you know what I take back what I said earlier about Scott. He's a a cool dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I can agree with that. Uh, But like you said, Thomas, the ending just... If you have any problems with the movie, the ending should
1: wash those away. I mean, this ending is so epic. And just awesome. Well, what I kind of like actually is... I think it's great, but not really because of the epicness of it, as much as it's sort of this giant battles going on all around, and we have the confrontation of Black Wolf and Avatar, it's like, oh man, we've been building up to this, and Avatar's like, you know, we could have like a big giant battle or you can go fuck yourself, and <laughs> then shoots him. It's, I think, such a wonderful one, especially because we haven't really talked about Black Wolf. He's much more of a traditional sort of wizard, evil character. With Like, he's got the long beard, he uses his match, he's got the evil red eyes. And we sort of see him face off against Avatar, who's our very untraditional hero. And kind of comes to it just like, if you s- surrender to me, we can rule together. And it's like, yeah... But fuck off. Uh, I, I I love the fact that the deflation sort of, I think, really crystallizes the personality of the whole movie to me with that ending. Where it's just like, it's this big, bombastic world, but you got characters in here who are like a lot more human and down to earth. And they're just like, I don't want to fight you. Just die. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it really works. It's very subversive back then, and even now we're 40 years later, I think it actually still kind of carries that weight.
2: Th- that is the thing I think that's really enjoyable about this, because Avatar is kind of the reluctant hero. Like, even then, he's like, I'm too old to help out. Just wake me up when the planet's destroyed. And then when he goes along on this quest, and he's basically fighting uh, Skeletor on steroids, because you, when you see Black Wolf, he's so evil that his arms are bone. And then when he Which pulls out... Which
0: is such out- a cool design.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really like that, because he's, he's born evil, but... He still went into evil puberty because he becomes even more evil as the age goes on.
1: I mean, when you don't have flesh in your arms, I don't blame him for being an evil. That would fuck up any kid. Yeah, I think I'd I'd probably turn out a little bit different.
2: My elbows aren't ashy, but they're complete bone white.
1: Why don't you play some sports? Yeah, Mom? You want me to play sports with these? Great idea, Mom. Mr. Glass. (laughs) Basically. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) But you were saying, Scott?
2: I, I think it does play into that subversion. It's like, yes, I'll stop this. But, you know what? I'm not going to be the, completely the good guy.
1: I, I'm going to use the very weapon that you were using to pretty much try and destroy all the, like, the machines that you were trying to use. I'm going to turn against you. Because, uh, I know, does that make it make me a hypocrite? Maybe. Maybe, but... But he takes his bitch ass out. Yeah, but also fuck you. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it really uh... shows... Avatar look, is strapped.
2: Look, look, I know, look, look, I know I'm the good guy, but you're a Nazi.
1: I need to take you down. <laughs> Which means we can at least punch them. That's the American way. hmm Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but why don't we get into our More final... I love them. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> let's get into our final thoughts, then, about Wizards. Adam, you start.
0: Uh, you know, this movie holds a special place in my heart, because, like I said, I saw it when I was probably too young to see it and it's always stuck with me and i mean it just made me a fan of you know Backshe's work and i just this is something that i'm excited to show my kid when she's obviously a little older than when i was and probably she'll probably hate it but i mean who knows it might be pretty current by the time she's old enough to watch it as far as relevancy i just think it's a good movie man it's so it's it's just a good fantasy movie um For adults, and I'd say, you know, 10 and over. I don't think that you can go wrong with this one.
1: Yes. Fuck them up early. Scott, you're... uh... As early as possible. As (laughs) early as possible. That's true. Get used to it. Uh, Scott, what about you? Your final... I showed
0: my daughter Schindler's List this morning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Scott, go. Please go.
0: Okay.
2: (laughs) Well, repeating what I said earlier, I think this is my favorite Backstreet movie because... Just, I think, for, like, teenagers and adults, lovers of animation, if you like more experimental styles of filmmaking, Bakshi definitely encompasses that when it comes to the animation circle, because he isn't so much about telling a straightforward Disney story or having it epic. He works with his materials, and this, I think, was very inspired with what he wanted to say about War, because you know he's he's a child of he's a child of Jewish immigrants and he he grew up in a certain situations and the Vietnam war was very profound to him cuz that's where he realized what power cartoons could have and i think this is his most simple yet it's his best thematic work in kind of talking about his war and having his themes and even his animation style where he kind of focuses on like char- where he doesn't focus so much on character movement but just kind of like the whole screen of the environments and using other other materials, like painting the shadows over the real-life animation footage and the rotoscoping and having characters move in backgrounds, I very highly recommend this movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I echo both of your sentiments pretty much, though I will say, like I said, I think Heavy Traffic is Baxi's best movie. I do think this is one of his better ones, though. I think it's mainly because there's more of a narrative than usual, but at the same time not... Like, too concrete a one. There's a lackadaisical kind of attitude that at the same time there's so much hard work going on, which you can tell, especially, it's, it's interesting, there's a scrappiness because I didn't find this out um, until I was researching, but they did no pencil tests for this movie, which for those of you who don't know, in like traditional hand drawing animation, they usually there's usually at least a version of your favorite hand-drawn animated movie that's just in pencil. That didn't happen because this movie was so cheap. <laughs> they, they they couldn't draw it out shit like that. Just the first drawings they could do were oftentimes the initial ones. And that makes it obviously very kind of scrappy and kind of, um, you know, not totally rounded. But at the same time, that's a lot more interesting to me than maybe something that's very perfectly crafted, but ultimately kind of hollow, which I think, you know, some other animation that would come out around this time and not too long after would kind of be guilty of, and even I think Bakshi has been kind of guilty of it as his career kind of went along, because, for example, um, I, as much as you like it, Adam, I am not a huge fan of Fire and Ice. That one felt very stale, and especially much more traditionally fantasy in a way that kind of bored me a bit more, versus this, there's a lot more unique qualities to it that have inspired many things afterward, but at the same time feels so unique and original to this day. And I think that's uh, really what works about and I think is something that should definitely be more discovered, along with some of his more interesting movies like, I mentioned Heavy Traffic, or um, I think Coonskin, despite all its controversies, is also similar in its own scrappiness, and also sort of ahead of its time satire. And um, a a few other of his works, I think, are definitely around this era. So, yeah, Wizards. If you haven't seen it, um, we spoiled it for you. But definitely watch it, seek it out. And you know, um, speaking of animated outdoors, it's time for the second part of our double feature Rockadoodle. From master animator Don Bluth, director of the classics An American Tale and The Land Before Time,
0: comes an all new adventure for the whole family Rockadoodle! Rock-a-doodle! Edmund always enjoyed reading his favorite book. But tonight, he's really getting into it. I have some rather bad news. (laughs) They're looking for a rooster to save the day, and not just your ordinary barnyard variety.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the king!
0: Let me be your rooster, and let me roost with you. Let me be your rooster Let me hear your sweet voice Get out of here! I'm a rock-a-doodle to you Like
2: rock-a-doodle to me. Get ready for the magical animation sensation that'll rock your socks off Rock-a-doodle! rock Everybody! i
1: positively low rock <laughs> yes, Rocket Doodle, um, the film from uh, Don Bluth. who We should stop and mention a bit. So we talked about Ralph Bakshi. Another person who was coming up around this time, but more specifically in like the early 80s, was Don Bluth, who started his work career actually as a Disney animator, specifically who would animate for stuff like Pete's Dragon, or even he. His earliest work was as an animation assistant on the original Sleeping Beauty. So he was with the company for a while until around Fox and the Hound. And this is, keep in mind, we should mention that this, along with in the 70s, when Backstreet was really rising up, was not a dark age for the Disney Corporation, when especially their animated films were a lot more lackluster. Post-Walt dying, there was a lot more of just like, oh, let's do this or that. Some of those movies are still really liked, like the Robin Hood movie that they did around that time and a few others, but um, it wasn't very successful for them. There was a point where, shocker guys, Disney almost was in like financial straits that were dire. There was a time when this happened in the long ago. Um, and uh, he came up around this time, sort of got with a band of other animators who were exiled from Disney at that point, and he did a movie that Adam almost had us watch as the first part of this double feature, Secret of Nim, which was a very successful independent animated film. And from there... So yeah, and a very good <laughs> film. That holds oh up very Oh my god, good. it's so fucking good. Oh yeah. Oh, and also, probably a few more that would be more familiar to us, like An American Tale... Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, so he was kind of like, he was the answer to sort of the family film that Disney wasn't really providing for a lot of people around that time. And, um, not too long after Disney started having their renaissance with The Little Mermaid and all this other stuff, he was making Rock-A-Doodle, which, um... Son of a bitch. Wow! Uh, let's, uh... <laughs> I'm talking is... to you, Thomas. I'm not talking about Tom <laughs> Blunt. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into this. So, Rock-A-Doodle is... Uh, do I dare do a plot synopsis of rock a it, it, it uh, sure
2: It sure is a movie.
1: Um, It exists. Basically, it's the story of um both a kid who's reading the story and the story itself kind of blending together because we have a live-action kid... <laughs> Uh, Edmund, who is reading the story of Chanticleer, who's this rooster that was famous for making the sun rise when he crows, and there's a point where he gets beaten up in the middle of uh, the night, and the sun rises, but he can't, he doesn't crow, so everyone thinks he's a fraud. And then the world of Edmund and the animated world combine together because it's live action earlier, and uh, the court of the the Duke of Owls is the villain who comes in and turns Edmund into a little animated kitty cat and then the people who banned Chanticleer end up coming into his home and then they try and find Chanticleer, who's now an elvis rooster and the duke of owls is trying to stop them from bringing Chanticleer over because he hates sunlight this movie is incredibly tightly plotted as you can tell i do
0: want to you know just throw in there if it was the uh court of owls this movie would be a lot more entertaining
1: <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. The Batman villains. <laughs> the Batman villains. That's true. Instead of uh, Christopher Plummer doing his uh, worst Tim Curry impression, pretty much the whole movie. A hundred percent.
0: A hundred percent.
1: This was almost worse for me to watch, and I hate safe than
0: Wired. Not not on an offensive level, because Wired is way more offensive. But this was a hard movie to get through, man.
2: This is a movie that, after seeing it, if I read someone say like, "Oh, this movie was my childhood," I would say please reassess it because (laughs) this is not a good, this movie was so bad and annoying that I was hoping it's like, okay, please tell me something happened that that made Don Bluth had to like completely reset the whole project or something went wrong. And he had to like redo things because it shouldn't be that bad on its own.
0: No, I mean, and it's animated. Well, the, you know, the voice acting is not atrocious. It's none of it fits together. It's like a puzzle with all corner pieces. So,
2: so, you mentioned the voice acting, and I think it's worth saying that this is sort of a musical, which, to be fair, that happens to a lot of animated mu- movies, and I'm a pretty big fan of musicals, and you have Glenn Campbell as the voice of claire who I think when he's singing, he's doing a pretty good job, but the problem is the focus of this movie is so scattershot everywhere, and it just either focuses on the wrong characters, like it focuses all about on Edmund as the kitty and his adventure, or all the songs are given to Christopher Plummer who is like the one non-singer non-theater person in the movie
1: Well, and also his chorus is terrible the most generic songs like there's literally a song where it's just like oh they're running out of batteries and it starts with Fiddle Dee D." Fiddle Dee, Dee. wow <laughs> really we're, we're fucking doing this with, my with... dad wrote that song man. <laughs> Fiddle Dee Dee write the checks boys this will be a new down. American standard <laughs>
0: Yeah, we never saw a dime. <laughs> did, did, did
2: you, like, go into your dad's bedroom and find a chest with a key, and then you found all these rock duel Like, what did you do, Daddy? What did you do?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's then and I haven't spoken to him since.
1: Adam starts writing terrible songs in his bedroom. He's like, who taught you to do this? I learned from watching you! Okay? Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, Rock-A-Doodle. Uh, our conversation's almost a scattershot as rock a Um Almost, because you can't quite get there. Another thing with the songs you were mentioning is just the fact that so much of this movie, the huge problem, the key thing, that apparently was done because, as Scott kind of referenced, there was a lot of production problems with the movie. They had test screens, and they changed a lot of things. The biggest one, and the biggest offender being, um, the dog character... Um, who was voiced by Phil Harris, who this is his last film, and he's a radio personality from the 40s, who was also a voice actor and stuff like he was Baloo in The Jungle Book and Thomas O'Malley in The Aristocats, and he was in Robin Hood as well as Little John. Um, You know, you'd recognize the voice if you heard it. They add so much narration with him to over-explain things, which, on one hand, the movie's super complicated. Over-complicated, in a way that I can see why they would do that. But there's so many points where the narration is done for things that we obviously know based on the visual storytelling. I think the narration makes it overtly even more complicated sometimes. Well, yeah, because like, you know what, Adam, just start a sentence right now. Describe something for me right now. (laughs) Okay. When I was a young boy on the farm back in Iowa. See, Adam's talking about a moment in his childhood when he was young and on a farm. That's how intrusive the narration is. Because you My parents don't
0: were murdered
1: at eat see what he's talking about is that his parents were murdered at a young age. that's by how <laughs> by himself it's it's just over explaining so much of what's going on, like especially early on when is doing his big like song about like, "Oh, let the sun shine, let it shine, and then you hear over the song the narration telling you now chanticleer always came up and crowed when the sun was about to come out he made the sun go up it's like we get it they're singing a song about it you don't need to tell us that
0: yeah it's jarring
2: and it's constant too like you'll you'll get the you'll sometimes watch the scene and then Patu will explain to you what happened. It, it's non stop throughout this movie. It makes it really irritating and combine that with the fact that like a lot of these characters are really simple and they're just defined by one thing. Like the big thing with Patu is he can't tie his shoes. Now does that have plot relevance? No, no, it doesn't.
1: It gets a big end credits song out in, in, in the middle of the fifteen minute long <laughs> oh, credits, guy.
2: Oh God! It's like I ain't got the blues cause I can tie my shoes, and <laughs> that's the song. That's the like the the level of writing we have there, folks. It's so bad, and it's it's everything that's definitive about a bad kids film, where it, it's just trying to make it as simple and brain dead, and yet it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and. It's overcomplicated, and it doesn't even have the focus to be coherent.
1: No, not at all. There's so many different characters, and like you said, they have very one-dimensional traits. And they're all voiced by actors who I'm not sure why they're here. Um, Like, for example, um, as the little mouse peepers Sandy Duncan, for some reason. And her only thing is that she has Jumpin' Jehoshaphat! Jumpin' Jehoshaphat! That's all she says during the fucking movie, that's her character quirk. Or you have the little tiny bird nephew of the Duke of Vowels played by Charles Nelson Riley, because, sure, Don Bluth, you're fa- friends with him, I guess. <laughs> it's because he popped up in so many ones, especially after this, of his. Uh, Eddie Deason as the fucking magpie bird who's super sexist for some reason, then that's his character trait. Is that fuck, ladies? Man. I <laughs> Why? Or the biggest offender to me, just because um, of the voice actress, uh, Ellen Green as Goldie, was sort of like the weird um er point for furry fandom of birds um (laughs) ellen green who you might recognize as audrey from little shop of horrors which i've never said on here is my favorite film ever and this was one of many examples of post that movie no one knowing what the fuck to do with ellen green because it's just they're like oh i just talk like this and i'm a bimbo and that's all i am i guess fuck off how dare you waste her talents and especially she's singing the song and then in the middle of it, Vilaris as just the dog here, not even narrating, just like, Whoo boy, they're really getting together, aren't they? Yeah. That's what the movie's that, showing us.
2: That is such a frustrating part of this movie because like, okay, look, this movie has twelve songs. Every time someone's about to sing, they get cut off, or most of the songs go to to, to members of the cast who don't sing, like Christopher Plummer gets six like five or six of the songs here, and they're terrible. And like at least when at least when Glenn Campbell gets kind of like a Elvisy kind of song, I can kinda of like I can kinda of groove to it. Or if Ellen Green kind of got kind of a more sultry, kinda of like romantic song with Shanna Claire, I could kinda of go with that, but it's like, nope, thirty seconds, now another character has to talk, and we gotta focus on that character.
0: Right. To the point where it's like thirty seconds, now another character has to talk for thirty seconds. Alright, give that character a song. Nope, 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 stop. Get another character out here. It it it's just it's it's so bad it's, it's so bad I, it, it, you know what it is it reminds me of like the uh early like 2000s animated movies that were coming out where the music in them were just so terrible or like the disney straight to dvd straight to video sequels where there's no heart no soul behind the music it's just there because uh, we got to have music it's a kid's movie
1: the epitome of what tv tropes would call the animation age ghetto where it's just like oh this is what kids like this is what we can do and What's interesting to me, though, is despite all that we're saying here, I would still argue this isn't the worst Don Bluth movie, because as terrible as this is, it's at least more crazy and ambitious than some of the movies that would really follow, because this really broke Don Bluth in a lot of ways, and from here you would get more of things that were just like very thin Disney imitations that like Adam's talking about, like Thumbelina, is the most? Oh, I didn't realize that was not bad. a good movie. Oh, yeah, God, that's terrible. Would you say that's a worse movie at least than Dom, than this one is?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Because as as awful as this is, and more importantly, as annoying as this can be, there's always something. There's always something that's either annoying or at least curiously baffling or even as Scott mentioned some moments where I can actually see where this would work. Like I agree with Scott that if this focused more on Claire, I think it'd be a more interesting movie because it's sort of like a weird showbiz satire of like this country boy who goes into the city and is um, harassed by a Fox manager voiced by um, the dude from Dukes of Hazzard. Uh, the, I think the boss hog guy from Dukes of Hazzard, yeah. uh, which is a, I think a good bit of casting um, as a, to throw the casting director a bone there. Um, but I think yeah, like like Scott's mentioning, some of these moments of sort of like sort of a parody of Elvis's own upbringing, I think could have been interesting. Um in fact Scott you compared it to another Elvis movie oh, that we oh may get to uh, at some point. Oh <laughs> Explain. Okay. So there's this infamous uh, one of the religious movies that
2: have been relevant, but not like one of the like despicable, hateful ones. It's this movie called The Identical, which is this kind of like pseudo alternate version of oh, this not Elvis character I've seen of that of this story. not Okay. I would I would say Adam that that movie was better because at least in that movie it's more consistent on the adventure and the journey and the development of uh, Drexel the dream Hemsley as he's put and even though he's totally ripping off Elvis's career like he still gets to sing songs that are his own or their parodies of Elvis that like he, he's good at singing them he gets full link songs to sing and it's all very focused and it's not really annoying in the way it goes compared to this movie, which is all those things. And, and it's weird to say, like, that not-Elvis movie is better than this Don Bluth animated movie.
0: God, that's really hard, but I, I think I gotta kind of give it to you. I think you're <laughs> right.
2: Because it's one thing that it's all about, like, this Elvis character who's kind of terrible at acting. But that's kind of funny. At least it's not, like, on um, Elvis's kid who's like, Daddy, what you doing? Well, I gotta go on an adventure to find
0: Daddy and my uncle. <laughs> At least there's a narrative you can follow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as as opposed to this doesn't quite have that, but I I still would say, yeah, that I think it's more an issue of there's it's everything including the kitchen sink, and it's just most of it doesn't mesh it all together well. And if anything, you know, it's hung on the Edmund character, which we need to go further into. He's our lead character, he's um especially just sort of like the kid surrogate. And I remember I watched this as a kid. This was another example. I mentioned the Cool World thing earlier where my dad sat me down and was just like, yeah, this is like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You'll like it. Um, and I remember being even baffled as a kid by it where it's just like, I, would, I should like this more, but I don't, and I don't think I can articulate it. And now I can, because fuck Edmund. Edmund is one of the most annoying kid characters. So overly precocious, so awful, where he's, his whole thing is he speaks in the list like a little kid, just like it's over for you, and cheapers. I'm a furry he, that's the whole movie, and he's our main character, and he's terrible and So he just looks like Vival. I mean,
0: like, he's got the same facial structure as Fievel,
1: mm-hmm. no, that's, that's which is, true. I mean,
0: you know, that's not that big of a deal, but oh my god, dude, I wanted to punch this fucking kid in the face <laughs> like, I, I don't agree with hitting kids but, you know, I might break that rule if I, if I met this man in real life, like, now, like, he's an adult now, I would fight him. Would if he, he still has that him. lisp and yeah. that exact
1: same voice. <laughs> no, he, has the, he never went through puberty. It's the exact same. Jeepers! Yeah, he's got Benjamin Button disease. He yeah.
2: he he got, got, got spurned from man, from movies, so he just got into weightlifting. It's like,
0: I'll show all damn! Stop forward, my wife!
1: <laughs> Your ass is grass, mister! And also, we're not trying to make fun of the people with Lisp, but also fuck this kid and his annoying Lisp. It's so awful.
2: Well, because he exists, he takes so much of the screen time from the Duke of Owls or Chanticleer. Even when they meet up with Chanticleer, um, he accidentally gets hit in the head with a frying pan by Patu. He's like, oh no, I killed him. So you get ten more minutes of Edmund and his annoying group talking and not the main character of the movie on your posters on your soundtrack.
0: How awesome would it have been if he would have succeeded and actually killed him with that frying pan.
2: Oh, God. Okay, all, right, all right, Edmund, you sing for the sun now. Oh, think I
1: killed him, goes the black. <laughs> well, no, it, the, then the whole movie, just like the narrative, whatever narrative was there, stops. Just like, Cheap Booth, we gotta bury a body. Um, and it becomes that.
0: <laughs> you guys got shoveled live? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it would make sense in the narrative of this movie. Uh, honestly, if it, that's how it just kind of went. Um it just turns into this horrible murder crime drama.
2: You get the feeling that there might have been like more mature elements here, but because it's so toned on for kids. like One moment that really kind of surprised me in the movie is when we meet Goldie and Pinky, their manager, for the first time. And she's just complaining, like, I'm too good for the chorus. And he goes, well, you know, Goldie, you could always not do show business, and he kind of moves his hand closer, and he and she's like, "Pinky."
1: Yeah, that felt like a remnant of... Um, uh, the much oh, yeah. less sanitized cut, for sure. Um, and oh, it's... Oh, yeah,
0: some... I was reading some of the notes
1: you had in, Thomas. Jesus
0: Christ. Yes,
1: like, there was a whole sequence where the, um, Duke of Owls was apparently about... And this has actually been animated, you can watch it on YouTube. He was about to bake a baby skunk into a pie. And there's, like, a whole sequence of him about to put it in there. And then, all of a sudden, his stupid, fucking annoying Charles Nelson Riley nephew comes in. And the, the skunk escapes. But that's what worked about a lot of Donald better films like Secret of Nim, like Land Before Time, um, and American Tale, is that they did a great job of making, you know, the darkness palatable for children, but not disguising it. It's not talking down to the kids. This is a movie that I feel like is definitely talking down to the children, it's trying to show off. And I even kind of recognized it as a child when I watched it. And as I grew up I realized and grew to resent the film overall as things continued. Um it was a learning experience. Uh, in its own way. And also, can we just talk about, this is coming not too long after Roger Rabbit. There's a live action bit at the, the bits of the opening and ending of the movie. And it feels the most like bad 70s live action Disney. Just in and, how it's yeah, put together. Yeah, and it absolutely feels
0: tacked on. Yes. Like, there's no need for it.
1: And well, just a and just a weird thing that I didn't I was like watching this movie and I heard the mom talk and I'm like she sounds a lot like D Wallace And I looked at her and I'm like oh no that's not D. Wallace And then I look in the credits and they had for additional voices D Wallace dubbed over the mom. Wow. What? What? Why? <laughs> Was, right? I don't understand why. Is she that terrible? The actual actress that you had to get D. Wallace in. I don't mind more D. Wallace, but well, she talking... had
0: a lisp too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeepers! Well... There's a storm coming.
0: it's
2: like put up the sandbags. That that well, that was something I read. Apparently, they had a live action director, but he left midway through the production. So Don Bluth had to do live action for the first time, and he was just like, "Never again." and even though he only had like two scenes it's like nope that was so terrible I will stick to the hard part
1: yeah because I, I saw like a documentary where he was talking about it, just like oh you know maybe I could go into this and I could just give up animation go into live action features and just after one one day of shooting it's just like no I want to control everything with my hand and do the pencil drawings I don't want to have other people just so, so much more of a solitary figure he's very much the anti Ralph Bakshi in that way Uh, he doesn't want to combine things at all
2: i think the waters the scene where they're in like the 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 chest and the water's kind of moving about like there is still that like that iconic kind of like distinctive um not quite disney style that don bluth has that does make this stick out against other things but it is that whole thing where like this is so much better animated than versus wizards but it so focuses on the wrong things and even then there's just stuff that doesn't make sense like They put a ban on dogs, cats, birds, and mice. And yet, later on, you see all these characters in the club dressed as penguins. Those are birds!
1: (laughs) Idiots! It's the penguin club, though, because they're like tuxes. And we have to spend so much time now with all these characters in penguin suits for no reason. And we have to interrupt the big show going on with the paper airplanes.
0: I bet that was the part of the pitch that got the funding. (laughs) <laughs> that,
2: that's the thing that's like the song that gets his like his like treasure hunting for love song is like the longest song he gets in the whole movie but even then it's it's constantly interrupted and you have to have to look on the wrong things it's like this is such an example of how not to make an animated movie from one of the best animated directors of the 80s
1: now scott would you agree with me in saying it's not his worst film at the same time
2: it is not his worst film because I could see potential here, I could see where things go. It isn't quite troll in Central Park bad, which has what you're focusing oh what you're focusing completely on a bad character, and I don't think there's oh. anything really good there. I completely but, forgot about but that. Rock-a-Doodle, but Rockadoodle but doodle is where he starts to like slip on the stairs and then fall down, I guess.
1: Yeah, because after that, along with, like, A Troll in Central Park, there was also, like, um, Anastasia, which I know has a lot of fans. It's better than this movie. Uh, but it it's, is better
0: than this movie, but it's just a Disney ripoff. It it's, it's, so is.
2: It's, uh, it's very meh
1: yeah Um, it's it doesn't quite and then even Tiny E which I would say is a step of above some of these other recent movies but that completely killed it because a big thing that we haven't mentioned is that another thing along with animation that Don Bluth is known for is completely bankrupting animation studios which is what this movie did as well Um, because during like his Spielberg days he got like his own studio in Ireland to produce movies and this bankrupted that then you got another one in like Arizona when he teamed up with 20th Century Fox and and there was like another one, and that just all, it all collapsed over. And I think it is just because, like, what's something you know what? What is missing from this movie and his later movies that was present in sort of those '80s movies that we all love of Don Blues? What's there that is missing here?
0: Cohesion,
1: true. <laughs> I mean, uh, a
0: followable plot, um, characters you actually give a shit about,
2: uh, thematic purpose, um, focus,
1: life. <laughs> <laughs> uh but at the same time even a willingness to embrace death when it's there. I think that's another thing. Yeah. Is this feels Thank you. Look at secretive Men
0: Look at the way that movie deals with death and tragedy and family and everything. None of that is in this movie.
1: Or in even like an American tale has that, but in like a really fucked up kind of sk- way of oh, like. American Tale is it, so depressing. It's, it's so, so depressing. incredibly depressing, yeah. but you still get like it makes you more uplifted even by that ending. And of course, uh, we can't say any of this without saying Land Before Time is essentially like the Bambi of like a lot of '80s and '90s kids uh, yeah, in terms of yeah. the death of Littlefoot's mother. Affected it's so horrible. many people well, and part. still does. I, I was watching that movie because yeah. it's on Netflix now, and it's that's honestly one it's of just the first one on Netflix. or all thirteen of the sequels? <laughs> just the first one?
0: It's,
2: no, it's fourteen sequels.
0: Oh, you're
2: no. right. I'm sorry. Fourteen. Okay, sequels, that's why you're out of here, Scott. Fourteen sequels and a TV show. I think in tw- from 2014.
1: Yeah, you know, let's take this movie that's about sort of these animals who are in a dying planet who are embracing going to the great valley, which is a metaphor for heaven. 13 sequels do it
2: (laughs) heck i would i would even say watch a playthrough of dragons at lair or space ace which without any deaths is like 15 minutes long but even then like that is more enjoyable to watch and the action is so kinetic versus something like this which is just so sprawling and kind of just boring and irritating for a lot of it
1: no, yeah, I I completely agree, and I think it's definitely, it's so polished in a way that, you know, we talked about Wizards is like, we didn't do anime, animation tests, it was grimy, it was gritty, but at the very least, that made it have character. This movie, despite having a plethora of characters it wants to shove in your fucking face, doesn't have any character to it, to the point where you have the big culminating ending song, and uh, you have mostly a bunch of animated characters you hated, and a terrible chroma keyed in child, which, woof. <laughs> woof dem effects
2: though it was funny watching that scene Just, he's like oh, I, oh I'm having so much fun with my animal friends and I'm like they don't care about you they don't even look at you
1: like when you watch the old Alice shorts that Disney did which were the urtext example of like an, a live action character interacting in an animated setting and it looks far better than this you fucked up hard
2: I think at that point, he was out of money. It's like, okay, I don't know what this green screen thing is, but let's
1: use it. <laughs> but the kids like the Roger Rabbit, so let's do it. <laughs>
2: uh...
1: Well, um, let's go, I guess, into our final thoughts on Doodle Scott, you go first.
2: So you know what? I got nothing to say. I, actually no. <laughs> no, don't watch this movie. It's not good. Don't look back on it. If you have good memories of watching it as a child, just let them stay as memories. You'll be happier for it. Maybe if you feel nostalgic for it, you like just just listen to some Glenn Campbell records and watch some of Don Blue's other movies. I think the potential here that could have happened was something that interests me because I it was like I heard it's bad but I kind of had to experience for myself but I think for any adults you would have like no sense of patience watching this it's really irritating it's really annoying I think it's very misused and I think it's just a product of why some people look down on animation sometimes because it just feels like it's catered to be lowest common denominator so don't
0: don't well, doodle
1: to... yourself. <laughs> don't, don't, oh man, you doodle all over yourself. You
0: got it.
1: Um, oh no.
0: I'm going to literally everything Scott just said and add that if you want to watch, you know, a, a movie about a rooster singing, you know, strumming a guitar really well, watch a Disney Robin Hood. Those.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, that was a movie that Don Bluth animated on and you can see some like the early remnants of that style. Um, in this movie. But at the same time, even with like that being low-budget, 70s-era, flailing Disney, there's a lot more personality and a laid-back charm and a fun to it than this movie ever can achieve. Um, And, I mean, I echo both you guys, uh, but to say, especially to harp on what Scott said, like I said, this was a movie I remember when I was a kid. I remembered, you know, being interested, if very baffled, by it. And then I grew up and I watched it again and I realized, oh, this is bad. And guys... That's something you can do. You could realize that something from your childhood that you might have liked or had good memories of might not be that great. And that's fine. Yeah, nostalgia's all all good, but you gotta be a realist, too. Yeah, Uh it's, it's not a good movie. I can see, like Scott said also, the grains of something fascinating and moments, even they're like, Well, that's really well animated, or Oh, that was like a funny bit occasionally. It was sparsely there to the point where, like I said, it is not the worst Don Bluth feature, but it is so the beginning of the end. It, it feels so much that and it's sad, but you can look back on some other stuff and you know, hope it works. And even, you know, what he keeps saying he wants to do a Dragon's Lair animated movie in that traditional style. I don't know how that would work. I don't know if he can really go back again, um, especially considering if you've seen, say, Ralph Bakshi's recent animated work that he's done independently. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, and, you know, but all the, at the same time, all power to Don Bluth. I, I,
2: I would even say watch the identical over this because that movie's bad. <laughs> but I think, that movie is, I think that movie is at least funny bad. So at least you can get more enjoyment out of that than this movie.
1: We need to put that in our back pocket for the bad part of our a future double feature, for sure. So, that is the end of our discussion of our double feature for the evening. Uh, we've got a couple bits of feedback to read. Uh, Casey Gerard, who's a friend of myself and Scott, had this to say about our fifth episode. He references, uh, when episode five, which is called In the Heat of the Mordecai, uh, first showed up in my podcast feed, I thought it was going to be an episode about In the Heat of the Night and the regular show movie. Perhaps. Uh-huh. Ah. <laughs> uh, another animated movie that's better than rockadoodle Um uh, and then also uh ryan lindley had this to say which is a great show you guys have here haven't listened to episode five yet but i have dishes to do and laundry to fold tonight i can't believe you guys sat through mordecai yeah we did yeah, do we that.
0: did yeah and you know what i just want to throw out there that ryan lindley is one of the funniest guys online he is hilarious. He's just, and he's going to be a
1: future uh, guest host, hopefully. Put a pin in him. Put a pin but in Don't him. hurt him. Don't hurt him. <laughs> um, we also uh, want to thank Chris Oliver for doing the music um, that's used on our show. Uh, listen to more of his work at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com.
0: Yeah, if you like it, you know, maybe go and listen to it. Throw him a couple schmeckles. You know, whatever. <laughs> that great currency schmeckles that everyone loves.
2: It's actually shekels.
0: I call oh. it sh- I call it schmeckles because I'm dyslexic.
2: T- tangent. I actually think Schmeckle is a is a Yiddish term for penis.
1: You know, Well, throw him a couple schmeckles. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> give him a bag of schmeckles. Um, we also want to thank. You might have seen we have new art that is debuted on this episode, and we want to thank uh, Emily Scarda, who's a friend of mine from college, uh, for c- having that art uh, done for us. We commissioned it from her, and you can commission more art from her at fiverrcom ee Scarda, which is S K A R D A. It's it's good stuff.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. I love our new logo. It's fantastic.
1: Yes, uh, it's better than the thing we, behind the scenes, had to literally draw up right before we posted the yeah, first episode. I had to draw with Sharpies. I <laughs> so had to draw that up because his PC broke and we're like, fuck, fuck, something, we yep. need something. Yep. <laughs> fuck, man, here, here, it! <laughs> double edge, double, look at Um. <laughs> And uh, I want to say also, shout out to, um, by the time this goes up, I would have been on um episode of the Horror Returns podcast uh, with Lance Langford and Brian Stitcher, um, guys that uh, we know from our past podcasting history, uh, talking about The Legacy, a Richard Marquand film from the 70s, and also Hereditary. Uh, which uh, just debuted recently. And um, I'm not going to spoil things, but it's pretty great. And you can listen to more of their episodes at thehorrorreturns.podbean.com. Before we go, though, uh, we want to thank another person here, Scott Johnson, for joining us for this episode. It was lovely having you on. Scott, you're welcome back anytime. Do you have anything to plug?
2: Yeah, thank you for having me on. And some of my plugs are as so. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at ScottPJThoughts. That is Scott with two Ts, letter P, letter J, Thoughts. Uh, if you're a fan of craft beer or drinking to get through Don Bluth movies, please find me at porchdrinking.com. Uh, filling in with animation, I actually did a list of the best beers you can drink with one of Thomas's favorite shows, Steven Universe.
0: Mm hmm. It was a lovely article. You just became a hero to me.
2: Ah, uh, thank you. Thank you. I, and. <laughs> And if you're a fan of other movie reviews, you can find me on Stardust, the Stardust app at silky Pj that is silky spelled with iE letter P
1: letter J. Yes, those are fun. I always love watching those. Um, I'm just so scrolling through like oh Scott's got a new review. Um, but speaking of social media stuff, you can find us on Twitter at DEDBpod. or also at a you can email us with feedback at double double bill at gmail.com and you can also find our individual twitter accounts i am at not the who's tommy and adam malekith fan 6969 six, nine. always great I, um I, you know <laughs> speaking for the real marvel fans out there the malekiths
0: right. Yeah, right right i got y'all
1: you know wouldn't it be great if just like the the, the few followers adam has are all Malikith fans and they're so disappointed by the lack of malekith content I like, how you
0: said, I like how you said few, you fucking prick. <laughs> well, I have hey, over hey. 400 followers. I'm the yeah. bestest on Twitter <laughs> ever. <laughs> uh,
1: I lose all of my Twitter followers in one podcast recording. i um, try to make that happen. <laughs> also, you can, uh, we have a Facebook page. You can uh, like us and follow us there. And also, we do recommend you subscribe to us on iTunes and rate and review the show to give us more visibility. That really helps us out, guys, if you can just give us a bit of a star rating, and then also just a brief blurb about, like, hey, these guys are great, or these guys are stupid, but I love listening to them. Yeah,
0: feedback's appreciated.
1: Yes, definitely. We we like hearing constructive feedback as well. Uh, But, I think it's the end of our show, gentlemen, so um, on that note, we're gonna go ahead and mosey on around. At this point, Thomas was moseying out of the podcast and ending the show. Good night, everybody!
2: (laughs) Goodbye!